The Sovereign Grace Christmas CD is just gorgeous if you don't have it yet. In your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and we'll look at that shepherd's story. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 857. Familiar story, Martin Luther loved this story. Martin Luther considered this such a great demonstration of the pure gospel, a gospel where God brings good news to man. We don't invent the good news. We don't decide what the good news is. God brings good news to sinners. That's the gospel. So Martin Luther, in particular, just loved this story. It goes like this, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the, Gesundheit. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Well, the first thing that I want to draw to your attention is the fact that you've got that word behold. Because in Isaiah, that's been one of the driving forces of of going through chapters 40 to 66. If you pick out the beholds, each one is there for a very important reason. This is one of the marks in my own mind of good translation. And it's not why I wouldn't use a translation at all, but a translation in my mind gets an extra mark when it actually uses the word behold. Because it's something more than look. You know, if I see, I'm waiting to see, last year we had uh, bluebirds all winter long at our bird bath. And they're pretty shy, and you don't see them much. But, but if I saw the bluebird, I'd look, it's the bluebird. And I would try to grab my camera and get a picture of it before it flew away, because it's such a beautiful bird. But look, see a bluebird is not the same as behold. Because behold means there's something significant about this. Something, something is, is being uh, revealed, communicated, that you don't want to miss. And if all you do is see it, and you don't behold it, it's lost on you. So I love that it starts off with this, behold, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. What is the good news of great joy that the angel brings to the shepherds? The good news of great joy is not Christ is born. 
That's not enough. That's news, but that's not good news of great joy. The good news of great joy is unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's unto you. That's the good news of great joy. Not just that he came, because we don't know why he came, but he came unto you. And it's so easy and natural, I hope, that we want to put ourselves in that unto you. It's unto me he was born. But before we jump to the unto me, it includes me, that unto you, let's keep it in its original context, the you refers to the shepherds. When the angel said, unto you is born, she's talking to shepherds. And she's talking to shepherds for good reasons, some of which I think all we can do is make educated guesses. Because the Bible isn't really clear exactly why the message came to shepherds. But probably most of you have heard stories along the lines, and they would be true, that shepherds were pretty low on the totem pole of society. It was a pretty blue-collar job, it was pretty unwelcome, and it wasn't family-friendly. So to be a shepherd was not... People didn't dream like, oh, one day I want to grow up and be a shepherd and be away removed from everybody else and really have no family life and, and live that kind of a lifestyle. But it's unto those shepherds that receive this good news of great joy. It starts with shepherds. And I think that's at least in keeping with what Jesus taught through the Gospels where he said, you know what? Many of the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. Out of all the people that God would make this announcement to, the first ones are shepherds, are people that generally get the news last. They don't know what's been happening in Jerusalem. They don't know what the latest is anywhere, and they're the first to get this good news of great joy, exactly like Jesus commonly taught. I think it's also an illustration of exactly what Mary experienced. Because Mary was kind of like a shepherd. She was kind of insignificant. She was not on anybody's radar. And she received some pretty good news of great joy herself. So in your Bible, flip over a page to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. This is the, the message that Mary got. And then Mary's response to the message. I'm just going to... Pick it up with Mary's, Mary's response to the news she got about burying the Messiah. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary puts herself in a category of the humble and the lowly. 
Somebody who isn't likely to receive such a good word. And Mary is praising and thanking God for what he's done for her. Along the same lines, these shepherds are given good news of great joy. And it starts with them. As that message begins going out, it starts with shepherds on a hillside. But we know it doesn't end there because it says this message is for all the people. It's not just shepherds. We don't want to leave it with the shepherds and we don't want to leave it with Mary. It says it's for all the people. But it's very interesting that a definite article is used there. It doesn't say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. It doesn't say all people. It's not good news for King Herod. When the Magi come into into Jerusalem looking for this Christ child, however long it was after he was born, weeks, maybe months, I don't know exactly, however long it was, and they consulted with the chief priests and the scribes, it wasn't good news for them. The angel doesn't say it's good news of great joy for all people, but all the people, all the people. Now, a Bible scholar, Bible commentator, I didn't write down his name, he said, the people normally implies a distinction, often a contrast to some other group of people. So this is good news of great joy for all the people. Not all the rulers. It's not good news for all the rulers. It's not all good for those who are empowered those who are noble, those who are mighty, those who are self-sufficient. It's not good news for them. It's good news for all the people. All the people like shepherds. All the people like Mary. All the people like I read about in Isaiah chapter 61 where we were not all that long ago. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of of the prison to those who are bound. Those people. Those people, this is very good news that Christ has been born. But there's lots of people, that's not good news. But for those people, it's good news. It also is a fulfillment, I think, of exactly what Isaiah chapter 9 says. I'm going to show you... Not all six verses on the screen. I'm going to show you the first part of verse 1, maybe verse 2, and then into verse 6, which you're very familiar with. But I think this is a direct correlation. By the way, probably one of these times, maybe next week, I want to push Bible reading schedules again. I don't have them ready yet this week. You will will find Sundays so much more interesting if you're reading the Bible on your own. There are so many connections that I miss, that I'm unaware of. You will find some of those connections. You will put the Holy Spirit, by His grace, will illuminate your mind to see things that you never saw before. And it's just a matter of putting Scripture together with Scripture. But I've got this, if I can find it, I've seen other people use it in my Bible software, this connection where it's a circle of all the books of the Bible, and then it's kind of like, you remember Spirograph, the way you make all these wonderful designs, and it shows all the connections from one book to another book. And it's just the most beautiful tapestry. 
And the Bible is filled with so many connections on so many levels. And it would, we would never leave Isaiah if my goal was to try to find every connection that's there. It's impossible. It's impossible. But I don't feel like I should not find those connections because I don't give it some effort. So make the effort in whatever schedule you use or whatever plan you use to read the Bible. There's a connection between these shepherds, and this is good news for all the people, with what exactly Isaiah was told in chapter 9. In the former time, he, God, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's good news for the people. The people who walked in darkness. Those people saw great light. What people are they in Isaiah chapter 9? They're people in Zebulun and Naphtali. They're kind of like some of the apostles, which, yeah, you know they had names, but you never really knew much about them beyond their name. Here you've got two tribes of Israel. They're, very, they're the very north of Israel. Jesus, went, most of his ministry, I get them mixed up. I can't remember if it was Naphtali, where Canaan was, around the Sea of Galilee. Zebulun, it looks like that's where Nazareth was. Jesus came from Zebulun. He came from Naphtali. He came from this glorious way of the sea. And those people, those people have seen a great light. Those people are given a grace in the gospel because Jesus lived and walked among them. Those people are graced, blessed people. Not everybody. But Zebulun, Nephtali, lowly tribes out of all the twelve, just like Mary was a lowly maiden, just like the shepherds had an unimportant job, those people were graced with the truth of who Christ was. I think this is also borne out, uh, this, the people, it's borne out by what follows. Because in verse, I think it's 14, it reads, <clears throat> Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's very specific. It's these people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those, the people with whom he's pleased. So a natural question would be, is who pleases God? Well, left to ourselves, I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. All of sin and false are the glory of God. No one seeks after God, no, not one. But there's a sense in which a call has gone out or a proclamation goes out, or the gospel includes this idea of God being pleased with people. What pleases God? Who pleases God? The question is answered explicitly lots of places in the Bible. 
Two places I would suggest to you would be Micah chapter 6 and James chapter 4. I'm going to read these passages to you. Uh, You can follow along. You can read along if you want to turn there. They're familiar passages. Micah chapter 6 reads this way. With what shall I come before the Lord and and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then the answer comes in verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What pleases the Lord? Doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with your God. You can't do that apart from God's grace. I can't do... This isn't of like, okay, now that I've got the plan, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do justice, I'm going to love God, and it's all on me. You've missed the gospel. You can't do that. To walk humbly with your God is to recognize... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, can't, I don't do justice. I don't live justice. I'm not kind. I am selfish. I don't walk humbly before you. I parade before you, and I tell you what you should do for me. But by God's grace, I recognize I'm a sinner in need of His grace. And by His grace, by His act of working upon my life and heart, I can walk humbly. Because of him, not because of me. James has much of the same language. It reads like this. We were in James, well, probably in 2019. No, 2020. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. God gives grace to the humble. He doesn't give grace to the proud. God doesn't give grace to people because they come to church on Sunday. Unless they're coming to church on Sunday out of a spirit of humility and all that God has done for me, this is a way I give my thanks back to him. Not in a way to earn his favor, but because I've received his favor in Christ. All right, so the shepherd's response to all this, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's kind of interesting Uh, The last time I was here, several weeks ago, you were still in Luke's Gospel in Sunday school. And in Luke's Gospel, you had some apostles told by some women that the body is missing, and the report is that Jesus is risen from the dead. And the apostles, at least Peter and John in Luke's Gospel, as I recall, the apostles go and run to the tomb, and you get the distinct impression from the way the narrative is told, they're going to see... What exactly happened? If, in fact, Jesus is risen from the dead. And belief comes pretty slow. 
In this particular instance, the shepherds don't say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see whether it's happened. They're confident. They know exactly what's happened. They've been told by an angel. And they are going in faith and confidence, and they know exactly what they're going to be fined because they've been told exactly what took place. So the boldness of these shepherds is greater than the apostles who were huddled behind a closed door when when women first announced Jesus is missing, he's been risen. The confidence is much greater. So they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph. They found the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What did they make known? What was the saying that they had been told that now they are telling everybody else? I think in the text, in the gospel, verse 11, it goes back to, Unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What they're telling everybody else is exactly what they found. This child is our Savior. He is the Lord's Messiah. He is the Lord Himself. And all this because of what God has already purposed and planned to do. None of it is taken, is, has been brought to completion yet. Jesus is an infant. He is helpless so far as boy, little babies are helpless. He will grow in nurture, um, in understanding, in wisdom, in stature with God and men. It will be a process. But because of God's purposes in this little child, they tell, this is our Savior. It's Christ the Lord. And the response to this, in verses 18 and 19, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I, I wonder what they wondered about. Are they wondering? I mean, on one hand, you think, well, Scripture is pretty plain that the Lord would send the Messiah. That was the, that's part of the gospel message all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that only God is going to solve this, pro- this, this problem of sin. So are they, are they wondering uh, about the message itself? Or are they wondering by, by the fact that, should we believe shepherds? Shepherds' testimony wasn't permissible in a court of Jewish law. Uh, maybe shepherds have been on this dark hillside for too long. Maybe they need a break. I mean, what is exactly they're wondering about? I don't know. But I also find it intriguing that it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It doesn't say she wondered. It says that she treasured up all these things and she pondered them. Now think about it. What could the shepherds have possibly told her that she didn't already know? Because she was visited by an angel as well. I've got a passage on there. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. It's only a page over in your Bible. So go ahead and turn to it and I'm going to read it to you. I think... Thought I had it in my notes, but I guess I don't. So I'll actually turn in my Bible. Luke chapter 1, 26 to 33. It goes like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. That's what Mary was told. So what did the shepherds tell Mary that would have caused her to ponder what what they said? That would have caused her to treasure up what they said in addition to what she already knew? And here's here's what I would suggest. Sometimes it's easier to believe or have confidence or faith in what you know God is going to do when it's all said and done. He's going to reign forever over Jacob. His kingdom will know no end. And you know that's how it's going to end. And your faith is there and, and it, you're con, con, it's confirmed in you. You just you believe it. But what sometimes is hard to believe is that God is working through all the details of when the child is first born. And all the details of shepherds being told and shepherds visiting and bearing witness to the fact that God is even in this. Sometimes it's easy to believe God's got the end figured out, but certainly not my messy details right now. Not my disappointments not right now. My tears right now. But God's got that figured out too. There are no details that are not part of God's plan, that are not part of his tapestry of goodness and power and grace. And I think that's what Mary is treasuring up. I knew God had a plan. I knew it was big. I knew that his purposes of a kingdom would all be fulfilled in this child someday when he grows up. But even right now in all these details... All these details that are lost even on Mary, God is working. And she's getting a glimpse of that in the visit of the shepherds. And I think that's a beautiful thing to know. What are your comments and questions from Luke chapter 2, 8 to 20? Terry? Right. That's a... That's a Often proposed that because it's outside of Bethlehem, these are flocks that would be designated for sacrifice at the temple. Yeah, exactly. That's one. Of, that's one of the many, many connections in all of Scripture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. God is the one that says. If I've promised it, basically you can badger me about it. You know, you can pester me about it as the day is long because I will keep my word. No word of God will ever fall to the ground. God will never fail in anything that he's ever promised to do, down to the last jot and tittle. Wow. That's where our confidence lies. It's great to put that together. Somebody else? Carrie. Unimaginable. Because I don't think she ever, I don't think she ever forgot what she was told by the angel. I don't think she ever forgot what the shepherds told her. But I also don't think she ever forgot what Simeon told her in the temple. You know, that this child will, will be the cause of rising and falling of many in Israel. And we will pierce your own soul too. I don't think she had any idea what that meant. And that would kind of strike fear 
I think, into a person, except that you know if God knows, it's enough, which kind of reminds me of a Corey Ten Boom story where, uh, you know, where there was this uh, kind of a dreamish vision that Corey had about them being taken away on carts out of Holland and that the Germans had overrun the land. And I remember her sister saying, Betsy saying, you know what? It's enough for me that God knows. Like, I don't have to understand the pain. I don't have to understand exactly what it's going to mean. But the fact that God revealed, showed you that, Corey, the fact that God knows, it's enough. So, um, you know, Mary was told, a sword's going to pierce your soul. Nobody wants their soul pierced. I, I can't imagine the grief that Mary felt at the cross. And I can't imagine the joy that she felt when Christ rose from the grave. What a story. I mean, I wish she had written a gospel. <laughs> I wish she had. Joe? Well, can you just pull that out of the air? Yeah. He talked to people. Yeah, that would be the most natural conclusion. If it wasn't Mary, it would have been somebody very close to Mary that knew these stories. Yeah. But it would make sense to think it was Mary. I still would like for her to have written her own gospel, though. <laughs> like, didn't she have a diary back then? <laughs> Anyone else? Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer.